0: Welcome to episode 268 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Yesterday, I interviewed analyst Anders Hovey of the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies about China's aggressive EV industry, which got us talking about the country's electricity system. Turns out that just like the United States, China has plenty of challenges ahead already as it rapidly scales up wind and solar energy. The U.S. power grid has been in the news for a few years, thanks to high-profile outages in California and Texas that only serve to illustrate the work ahead to modernize the creaky old American grid. Can foreign startups with innovative new technologies be part of the answer in the U.S., and perhaps part of the answer in Canada? In this episode, I'll try to answer that question during my conversation with Aaron Inbar, ceo of israel-based prisma photonics so welcome to the interview aaron, aaron to be. sorry uh i Glad will get you. it right um yeah i i joke you know i often we we do a lot of interviews with with people outside of north america and of course my flat western canadian tongue gets me into trouble all the time so my uh my apologies but absolutely let's talk about the fun stuff um now, look, uh, I've done a lot of interviews about the American grid and, and with economic modelers and energy modelers who say that for advanced economies like the US, uh, by 2050, they're going to require two to three times as much electricity as the transportation gets electrified, as uh, building, uh, heating, you know, space heating gets electrified with heat pumps, uh, industrial processes, on and on and on. We're going to need a lot more electricity. And the question then becomes the role of transmission. And this is an interesting debate uh, because on the one hand, even the IEA says we're going to need a lot of new transmission. And on the other hand, there are plenty of advocates out there who talk about distributed energy resources. So are we going to be using microgrids? Are we going to be using uh, self-generation by big industrial and commercial uh, plants that can, you know, install solar on their roof and then have the batteries out in the in a shed, those sorts of things. What's so in a in a very broad sense? What's your take on where we're going with this uh, shift to clean electricity and the role that transmission will play in it?
1: Yeah, so I think that you know, microgrid and other aspect definitely will help, but the major major aspect is still. The backbone is the transmission line. And here we, we're seeing a huge shift when, when we're shifting into renewables, you know, suddenly we need to transfer uh, uh, power over thousands of kilometers because we're not generating power where we need, but rather where we have uh, wind and solar. And This is a completely different problem. And suddenly the grid become or the transmission line become a real bottleneck for the removable into or, or the, the shift into net zero grid.
0: One of the uh, points that's that's been made uh, quite often, uh, and I came across this in an international energy agency presentation on integrating uh, wind and solar into power grids, and it said that there were six phases, and the first two phases are just minimal integration of uh, variable renewable Uh, energy so the first you can you know system operators can plan ahead and there's things that they can do it's not really onerous but once you get into phase three uh maybe you've got uh 10 12 15 percent of renewables then it's a different game. Now you have to start re-engineering your grid. You've got to look at storage. You've got to look at your market structure. You have to look at new transmissions so that you can trade with your neighbors, on and on and on. There's a, a lot of things that have to be done. And the the higher the percentage of, of variable energy in your power grid, the more you have to re-engineer it. You, it. Renewables are not a drop-in replacement for thermal capacity. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely, and I think that the problem is already here. We can see, for example, that in any given moment in the US, we have something like 10,000 renewable energy projects that are waiting in the queue to be connected to the grid. So it's, it's, it's right now a problem, and as we will shift to more and more renewable energies, as EV cars would take a, a, a more dominant part in the transportation, that would become a huge problem.
0: What does technological revolution in the power sector mean to Prisma? And the reason I ask this question is I've been hearing for years now that the power sector is going through its own technological revolution. There are all sorts of innovative new technologies, and I assume your approach will be be one of them. I hear about grid-enhancing technologies. So you make more use of the power grid that you have But what is, from your point of view, what is technological revolution in power? What does that mean?
1: I think in in one word, it's data. Because probably in the the long term, probably we will build new transmission lines and enhance the capacity in the, I would say, brute force way, but that will take several decades. Right now, what we can do is start to use data in order to optimize what we have right now. Because practically, the grid has the capability to a much higher capacity than uh, than it is today, but the limiting factor is data.
0: Do you find in your conversations in the U.S. that regulators, uh, regional transmission organizations, utilities are open to changing the way they've done business for the last, I don't know, 125 years? Uh, I mean, the the... I, I would think it would say the electrical utilities have a reputation, at least in North America, for having a very conservative uh, culture that's rooted in engineering. I mean, the, the emphasis has been on price and reliability, not change, resist change. And it sounds like now change from their point of view, this is rapid. I mean, this is really, you know, radical, uh, radical change. And what are they... From your point, because you're coming from a different culture, you different power system over in Israel, and you've worked in other, in other countries, how do the Americans, and, and by extension Canadians, how do they compare?
1: You know, if I would compare, for example, the U.S. to the European market, I think that there are, I would say, there is a difference. For example, I do believe that adopting grid-enhancing technologies, and, and I mean dynamic line rating, and probably we'll speak a little bit more about what it is. Probably Europe was first to adopt, and you see large-scale pilot and initial deployment earlier in Europe. But I think that what's happening in the US is interesting, is that there is regulation, which is not as, as you know clear-cut in Europe. In, in, in the US, you have FERC order 881, and it's giving the first step, the first phase, for a transition from what was in the past, static line rating into dynamic. It's not the end game, but this is the first and very important step to shift the industry. And we're not speaking about regulation that will take part in a decade, but in the end of 2025. So it's just in less than two years, which is in in this world, it's around the corner.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I have to say, uh, I used to think that canada's stodgy old uh, electricity system because we we have a very different system you know we have 10 provinces and each province basically has a monopoly on what goes on inside their borders uh i think in eight or seven or eight of, of the ten the, the utility is owned by the government you know so it's a crown corporation and it's just it's so much more chaotic and and uh, down in the US, so many more uh, jurisdictions that have to be taken into account. But there's also layers of regulation and planning that don't exist in Canada. Like in Canada, you know, the government will set some policy, and then the utility owns the uh, generation, transmission, and distribution. It's all integrated into a, a vertical, well, it's vertically integrated. But in the US, it, it can be, it can't be. I mean, and there's all kinds of uh, of different wrinkles to that, you've got ERCOT in Texas, which is just isolated from the rest of the rest of the country. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy in a way. Um, and and then you've got FERC at the top, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and then you've got regional transmission organizations, and then you've got some planning organizations like you have in the West Coast in between that, and then you've got state regulators. And that must be just a, a bit of a, a thicket and a bit of a nightmare to to navigate.
1: Yes, absolutely. But I think that what we're seeing is that there is, there is a pet that the regulator is is stating in the US and is saying, we are moving from static line rating into dynamic line rating. What it means in, in a single sentence is the fact that your maximum capacity of the grid will be changed from one hour to the other, depending on environmental condition. And in every given moment, you will have the capability to optimize the capacity and and this is a huge shift in mentality because you know it's not static i need to plan things are changing so so yes many transmission operator each one has its own nuance and 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 will it happen on time or will it be an extension what canada will do will it follow but but you have the train i think left the station and, and you know utilities understand that what happened it's it need to be changed. And, and we're seeing it, we're seeing utilities start to, you know, starting the process of adopt completely new, new process that would enable them to optimize the capacity from the existing grid. Well,
0: interesting. So you've talked about the dynamic line, uh, monitoring a couple of times. So maybe it's time for to, to define that. And if you could, please.
1: Yeah, I would try to do it as, as simple as possible, but you know, People are asking, what's the limiting factor of the grid? What, what do we need to enhance the capacity? And it's interesting, the limiting factor of the grid is the temperature of the conductors, of the cables. So someone did a calculation and calculate for the worst case scenario and said, OK, in this line, you cannot exceed 1,000 amps, because that would be the maximum temperature. But what's important interesting is that parameters like wind are cooling the conductors. So if we would measure the wind, if there is a breeze right now, I can drive much, much more capacity. In, in some cases, 50% more capacity just by having a cool breeze. So suddenly measuring all those temperature and wind and doing the calculation around it will give me, and this is why it's called dynamic, what would be the maximum capacity in every given moment? And when you do the calculation over time, you can see that you can enhance the capacity by 30, 40 percent just using data. And those are big numbers, and you don't need to change the grid just to collect the data.
0: That's an, the- intre- that's an interesting challenge, collecting the data. Um, you know, uh, big data and analytics has been around for a long time. This, this is not new, and I, I would imagine that the utility sector uh, in the US and and in Canada, for that matter, at least have some data collection and, and data crunching capability. Do you find that it varies uh, quite a bit amongst, you know, across the US?
1: I would say that utility have a lot of data about, I would say their electrical parameters. But if you're looking at external parameters about risk, resiliency, about, you know, wind and temperature, you don't have so it's it's like you know adapting new concept new solution and and now it became a problem because we're saying that collecting the data and doing the analysis it's not a big problem because you have the sensors you have it's not a problem of monitoring it's rather a problem of scalability because eventually the idea is not how to do a successful pilot over one tower it's how can i deploy it over 10,000 miles. And and that's, I would say, what drove us in order to develop our, I would say, different solution to this approach.
0: Can you tell us about your experience in Israel? Because I understand that you have worked on about uh, 50% of the transmission grids. You've got quite a bit of experience there. Uh, Maybe tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So... uh, Our first uh, customer to work with with was the Israel Electric Corporation. The second one was, by the way, the New York Power Authority. But in Israel, we started, Israel is, it's it's not a huge country, but it's one single operator that, by the way, doing distribution and transmission uh, all over. We started with a pilot and it was a successful pilot. And then we did a scale up, we did a scale up to, roughly 25% of the national grid, uh, more than 1,000 kilometers. And for us, it was not only important, you know, to scale up, but to show that our concept is is scalable. It's different because, and and maybe I explain, I will explain in a few words, what's different between what we're doing to the conventional approach to data collection or doing monitoring. Sure. Because what, what happened up until now is that, If you would like to measure, uh, for example, wind for capacity measurement or electrical transient event for resiliency or wildfire, you have sensors. And you can do fantastic pilots over small locations. And the question was how to scale up. And we said when we started, it was like more than five years ago, that in order to scale up, in order to build a scalable solution, if you need to go out and start to deploy sensors on towers, That will not be scalable. It will be hard. It will be cumbersome to start to deploy over thousands of towers in rural stations, putting solar panels, communication links. And and we we develop a solution that don't require to deploy anything. And and, you you can ask how you can sense without sensors. And what we are saying is that the sensors are already there. The utility deployed the sensors. The utility don't call them sensors; they call them the fiber optics networks. Because in most of the utility today, you have, as part of the grounding line, you have fiber optics cables in the transmission line. And we can use those standard telecom fibers as sensors. So from, from our perspective, it's like someone deploy sensors along thousands of kilometers, and we just need to come and light it up and start to use it. And, and, and that's the main difference between what we're doing and any kind of other sensor-based technology
0: okay this is fascinating uh because that's probably the most uh, cogent explanation of a grid enhancing technology a grid enhancing technology that I've heard and I've done a few of these interviews okay so uh, to, to summarize for my listeners because they're like me I, i'm a journalist not an engineer I'd, I'd, I'd you know, don't know exactly how these things work. So I'm going to summarize it as best I can. And you tell me if I've got it right. So basically the the uh, the power uh, the transmission system is being operated at X capacity. But in fact, it could be operated at X plus, maybe 25%, maybe 50% if it was optimized. And it's not been optimized because, you know, who really needed it before? But there hasn't been a lot of growth in uh, generation and uh, peak load, I think uh, all over North America has basically been flat since 2009 after the great recession. So who, you know, nobody really paid that much attention to it. Now we're, we're, we're predicting like, you know, maybe two, 3% growth a year. That's, that's big in the industry. So you got to get the move, the electrons around. Now people are paying attention to it uh, and they want to maximize or optimize those transmission lines. And lo and behold, uh, you have the technology, and they had put on—they uh, uh, had strung fiber optic uh, cable uh, along with their transmission lines that could do exactly what needs to be done, no extra cost involved. And they just didn't, never thought of using it that way. And now you can collect data that they had maybe hadn't collected or hadn't crunched in a particular way. And now you—that would enable the utility or the uh, the transmission company to increase the amount of power. The transmission system can carry, uh, and that's that's the innovation here. Have I have I got that more or less right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Utilities deploy those fiber optics from good, for good reasons for you know communication purposes, but we're saying we can use them for sensing purposes. We can use the same asset that you have in order to monitor, for example, measure the wind precisely in every tower and tower. And do a dynamic line rating calculation and tell you in real time, what's the optimized capacity in every given moment? What's the alternative? The alternative is to go and deploy thousands and thousands of sensors, which is, it's doable, but it's not really feasible, but you don't need it because you have the fibers.
0: Now in Canada, which is uh, probably the systems that I'm, I'm most f- familiar with, um, we generally think of our grid, I wouldn't say it's moderate, it's not a smart grid. We don't have a, not all provinces have smart meters and and the, the number crunching capability you're talking about. But I think we would say that it's been a fairly, uh, this, the grids are fairly stable. We don't have a lot of big outages like they have had in the States and, and a lot of crises. Um. So... I understand, though, that you are in conversation with uh, a utility, a Canadian utility to deploy or at least test uh, your technology on their grid. Is that correct?
1: yes. and And I mentioned that we're dealing with uh, capacity and resiliency. And I think that every location and every utility in in some cases have different challenges. and 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 you can guess that resiliency challenging, in, in Canada would be different than for example, let's say California and you know, the harsh uh, winter uh, icing issues, icing plus extreme wind that can generate galloping to the galloping uh, to the transmission line. That's, that's a huge uh, challenge. And I agree with you about the quality of the grid. We're speaking about, you know, T1 utility with a high quality grid, but in in very uh, challenging conditions, and what we can bring into this equation is the ability to, to detect problems, external problems. For example, icing or formation of icing on the grid, that's an issue. Because if you will have right now an icing plus wind, you're getting galloping, the wires start to, to, uh, to shift. And this, this that's a big risk that the utility would like to know about it once again. Can be done without the need to deploy a sensor because they have the fibers. So it's a different use case, but it's it's quite a critical for this kind of utility.
0: Sure, I mean we saw in on the prairies uh, only a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, fortunately, just before I went to Alberta for a for a week, but they, you know they had uh, temperatures of minus fifty seven C, which. Wow. You know, and there and there was real concern. I, there was just about a an outage, uh, rolling brownouts or blackouts uh, in Alberta. They came very close. Only an emergency alert saved them uh, from from doing that. And you know, basically a crude form of demand response. Um, so, but now you know, it's I think it's generally recognized in in Canada that the you know demand is going to be increasing two uh, percent a year uh, or or thereabouts and we need to start paying attention to, to the grid. Is it possible that we might be able to optimize what we have and keep the construction of new grid transmission down to a minimum?
1: I think so. I think that what has what been proven of, over several researchers and, 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 and that you can in almost all condition you can enhance the capacity by 20 30 up to 40% in, in some spe- specific timing up to 50% all of it can be done with the existing grid no need to do any reconstruction and this is an optimization in in probably you know there is a long term route that you will need more but technology can bring you this benefit in in a very short cycle
0: yeah, it's, you know, I've been using the the, uh, the figures two times uh, or three times as much uh, electricity uh, by 2050. But there's also the counter argument that the electrical uh, ut- uh, appliances uh, and, uh, you know, things like uh, we have a heat pump in our house. And I'm shocked by how efficient it is and how low our electricity bills are. I mean, it's just, it's been a revelation, a real eye opener for me. And, and if you apply that observation to other electrical uh, uh, work, you know, like electric vehicles and, and so on. So the argument goes that we, in fact, because of the increased efficiency of, of electrical uh, equipment that we won't need that much. And you can almost foresee that maybe if we do this right, we might be able to optimize our existing grid to the point where in most cases, Uh, given the uh, increased energy efficiency that we don't need to build more transmission and because we've watched what the americans are doing uh, and of course in quebec they've they've tried to build a hydro line down into uh, through northeast uh, down into new england and had all kinds of nimby problems people opposing the transmission line so Everybody recognizes you don't want to build anything unless you absolutely have to because it takes a long time to get approved and then a long time to build it. And I imagine that's coming up in conversations with North American utilities.
1: yes, yes. and and I would say another important aspect is in many cases, when you speak about extracting more, it's based it's it, it's it's a trade-off of safety and reliability in this case it's not a trade off you can enhance both of them because when you are using the data when you are doing a real time calculation you can ensure that in any given moment you are not passing your uh you know your safety threshold and surprisingly you can extract more and be safer in 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 the same aspect because before you just took you know safety margin without the data without without knowing where you are so it's it's a dual benefit and this is important because we're going into a stage that we're trying to leverage the 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 margins that we have we're putting the grid in more stress and the grid is is old it's it's 50 years old in in average so an aging system under stress you can you can forecast a, a reliability issue therefore It's not only data for enhancing capacity, but also to improve your reliability, which is also a very important aspect.
0: One of the the parts of this story, and I think the energy transition in general that is of great interest to me, and we don't talk about it much, and that is the role of enabling technologies. You know, what you're doing uh, where would it be without software? Where would it be without uh, more powerful computers to do the data crunching? Uh, where would it be without artificial intelligence? Uh, and so what role do those kinds of enabling technologies play in what you're doing?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a major part because, you know, think about the device that we, we build. We build a device that enable us to transform the fibers into uh, sensors. But now we need to collect data in order to know, to understand how a partial discharge is look like, how a wildfire, how an icing. So we start to collect huge amount of data, and and you know, funny over the, the years that we collected data. When we passed the two petabyte of data, something like a year ago, we said right now we have more data than the whole British Library <laughs> uh, by itself. This is really a big data. The system generate terabytes of data every day. And and, and, and AI, it's it's a major part. Nobody can really build a a classic algorithm that can crunch such a huge amount of data. So I think that this revolution is is a necessity in order to present solution like the, the solution that we're doing, really dealing with huge amount of data over thousands of miles.
0: Uh, maybe we'll wrap up the interview this way, uh, Aaron, And that, uh, looking out five years, ten years, maybe even 20, 15 or twenty years, what kind of uh, other innovations uh, are going to come along that make your job easier, that make the grid more productive, uh, and predictable and reliable, uh, and so on? I mean, can you can you look into your crystal ball and give us a, a peek into the future?
1: Yeah. I think that one of the tasks that we have in front of us, we said we have an infrastructure and now it's for enhancing the capacity, but we are collecting data about, you know, any kind of external environment and and we would like really to, you know, improve resiliency to, you know, new use cases, wildfire, extreme wind, predictive and preventive maintenance. We didn't speak about it, but utilities spend huge amount of money because they are doing routine maintenance procedure without data so bringing data into the predict the predictive and, and preventive maintenance of utility really i think that we can change those the way that utilities are doing their processes up until now just by bringing them you know a useful and and very relevant data so hopefully that that would go you know step by step starting with capacity resiliency predictive preventive there is a lot of thing to do in the in the coming years
0: well good luck in doing them and good luck in your expansion into north america and uh, we will be watching your little company with uh, with great interest so thank you very much for this
1: thank you very much for me. thank you very much <laughs>